Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guests are Dan and Kat Eckhart. Seance host, mediums, and celebrity occultists obsessed with exploring what lies beyond the veil. Through their work, the Eckharts strive to share their love of the paranormal by showing that spirit communication can be exciting, mystical, and ultimately accessible to us all. Dan and Kat, thanks for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much for having Glad us. Glad to be here. If we don't mind, let's just start with what got you guys involved with the paranormal in the first place. <laughs> it was a lifelong journey. Um, and it will continue to be. Yes, maybe even in a, um, a multiple life journey for sure. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a, um, I grew up in a haunted house and um, it was really kind of a concerning um, feeling to be in that space. Uh, I grew up with a, um, a, a relatively religious family um, and, you know, hauntings, ghosts weren't really real uh in that kind of worldview and so i really didn't have a lens by which to look at what was happening um i had kind of a dialectic going on between well this is either like demons <laughs> coming to get me or i'm crazy i'm going absolutely out of my mind and these things manifested in the way that most people like talk about paranormal phenomena, um, specifically hauntings, like shadowy figures in a room, um, things being misplaced, weird electrical stuff. And to fast forward a little bit, it wasn't until I met Kat that there was this validation that, oh, you're not crazy. Uh, Kat's seeing this too, even though um, I never told her. Yeah. And, and seeing is the primer word there because I came over to his house not too long after we met in college and I entered his room and turned around and saw for the first time a dark, shadowy, tall figure. And I truly didn't know what to make of it. My mind didn't know what to make of it. And I looked away and then looked back and I, I couldn't see it once again, but I could feel like this very heavy presence. And I'm not sure when I told you, I knew I, he saw me see it and he knew that something was wrong and that I was disturbed in some way. And for me, it took me a while to really accept that I had seen something. I'd always wanted to experience something paranormal. I've always been interested in the unseen world. Um, but when it happened, I don't know, something different, something different happened to my mind. Exactly. And so having that conversation was, um, was cathartic firstly. And then secondly was um, this moment of really kind of clicking in a way that I don't think that um, I had with anyone else to that point. And then we both began to explore this world. Like, what are these things? What is this? Because before that period, the only real insight into my experiences and the experiences I was having was a collection of 20th century reader's digest books 
some were about like infrastructure, some were about electricity, the miracles of modern science. And then there was one book that was all about mysteries of the 20th century. And it was about UFOs and aliens and pyramids and spontaneous combustion and ghosts and seances. And so that was the only real kind of framework into what these experiences could be. And I don't think it was a particularly good one, but it at least started the question of what, what is this? What is the occult? What is magic? What is ritual? And how do these things interact and present themselves? Um, something Graham Hancock talks a lot about in his book, Paranormal. Um, I believe it's paranormal. Supernatural. Supernatural. Thank you. Supernatural. I always swap those two out. <laughs> um, and he relates a kind of like a, um, a, a view of across various different cultures, an anthropological view of like shamanic awakening experiences, uh, ritual initiation experiences. And his argument is in the U.S., uh, in Europe, we don't really have a cultural language around this. So when it happens, we see it as ghosts, we see it as aliens, we see it as like what the History Channel alien guy is telling us, and we, um, we, we don't really have a framework to recognize, oh, wait a second, this might just be the other poking through and, and, and saying there's something else here. I think it's great that you guys have a partner that has a shared interest in the paranormal. As your relationship grew, did your interest in the paranormal grow along parallel with that? It did, but it kind of, uh, we had separate interests. Mm -hmm. So Dan has this Pennsylvania and Dutch background all around Appalachia, and he grew up with concepts of Bigfoot, <laughs> things that I, I just didn't, even though, well, we'll probably get into that later, even though Bigfoot was in my area growing up as well. Um, but for me, the interest was very much in magic and how it intersected with religion and anthropology. Um, so we both consume similar sources of this unseen world, but we have different, we have slightly different interests in that. Yeah. And that slightly different interest has allowed us to kind of put various different ideas in tension or to experiment with different ideas because for a long time, I mean, coming from a very religious background into one which is, you know, an occultic, uh, esoteric perspective, uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of new ideas to sift through and a lot of old ideas to let go. Mm -hmm. And something that I have only recently really come to um, appreciate and to engage with and even lend credibility to is this idea of multiple lives and past lives and reincarnation and experiencing uh, a life repeated. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is the kind of synchronous um, experiences that Kat and I have had. Uh, when we met the first time in college, well, it goes before that. Um, in high school, I had this vision in my mind of this person who I wanted to spend my life with, this specific kind of person. Um, and there's a Parsons sink there with the, uh, which we'll get to. But um, I had this vision of this, this person who I had never met and applied to one college um, by a quirk, ended up in one specific uh, intro to college class. And on the first day of college, I met my wife. I met Kat. Mm -hmm. And it was like we knew each other for decades, for years. Like we had all these weird commonalities. And even though, you know, we were kind of 
holding back our interest in the paranormal because it's not something you just come up to somebody and say, hello, I've had aliens in my bedroom. <laughs> we had this kind of real, um, this real depth that I've never felt with another, another person. Mm -hmm. And that began to kind of play into, well, what other weird things have appeared over time that kind of, um, whether it be shared memories um, from experiences we've never had or uh, specific historical figures, sinks. I'm very interested in what that means for us and for, for everyone, really. I think it gave us a sense of almost fate and destiny that we hadn't experienced before. And it really opened us up to the idea of maybe the universe is pushing us towards something specific or communicating something with us. Yeah. And I know that before I met Dan, I, I never dated anyone else. <laughs> I, I wasn't really interested in anyone, but immediately felt this deep connection with him that I hadn't, well, I haven't felt with anyone, anyone else. Have you guys explored the possibility that you have been together in previous lives? We're exploring it. We're actively exploring it now. Um, <laughs> we've, we've had this um, feedback from some of the people who we've worked with or who found us online through TikTok or Instagram. And they always um, kind of jump on this um, kind of what we call like this cosmic union that we feel very, like very similar people um, to the point where when I first met Kat, a lot of people thought we were related. A lot of people were like, oh, you're like brother and sister or you're cousins. And we're not <laughs> by any means. And it wasn't because, um, you know, that was uh, by any means common. It was simply just there was this kind of connection, I think, that we've exuded for some time. Um, but then people on like TikTok, Instagram, whatever, being like, oh, you know who you're like? You're like Jack and Jack Parsons and Marjorie Cameron. That we get all the time. Mm. And we got this really weird like Jack Parsons sync. Um, growing up, I was very interested in poetry and fencing. <laughs> of course, in the occult, um, there's Kat had some like channeled messages about Jack Parsons before before you even knew who he was. Yes, it's it's one of the uh, benefits and joys of keeping a notebook of looking back and said, oh, my goodness, I actually wrote his name multiple times and I hadn't even meant to. Yes. And by no means are we saying that we are reincarnated Jack Parsons or Marjorie Cameron. That is right. not the case. I'm just saying that there's those interesting sinks that both of us have picked up on and both of us connect with with each other. So yes. there does seem to be some kind of. Um, again, cosmic union between the two of us where people look at us and say, ah, those two, they're like the same thing. There's something happening there. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Jack Parsons. I haven't thought of that name in a long time, but for those of you that don't know, from what I understand, not only was he an occultist, but he was also a scientist. And I think that he is even involved with NASA because they kind of call JPL of NASA Jack Parsons Laboratory. Yes, he was part of a propulsion laboratory and um, was heavily involved with the uh, formation of what would eventually be the rocket systems that were used by NASA to reach the moon, which has a lot of interesting stuff about him doing a lot of lunar workings. He was very interested in Crowley's idea of the moon child ushering in this kind of rocket powered aeon um it's a really exciting he's an exciting character in in history and i know it's it's kind of the criticalness of any 
practicing ritual occultist to be, I am the reincarnated version <laughs> of Crowley or whoever. Right. right. But the synchronicities are always fun to point out. And I think rather than looking at the synchronicities as, oh, I'm this person, looking at the kind of larger structure of the synchronicities and the calling of a life and where your life is headed and what um, mm. what you share in common with other individuals, whether or not those individuals are reincarnated in a specific form. So from what you guys have learned, what happens to a person immediately after they die? It's such a great question. It's a question uh, that we continue to explore. So we are mediums and we attempt to communicate with uh, those past. We attempt to communicate with uh, entities and we are, we find that we are successful in some way. And we continually ask questions about what is life like for you? What is existence like for you? Um, And there seems to be an element of like co-creation. There seems to be an element of, um spirits informing what they um, experience on the other side yes we get a lot of different messages and different perspectives there does seem to be some period of past life review Mm -hmm. there does seem to be some element of consciousness that continues however this is something that recently kat and i have been talking about a lot which is how how much consciousness continues? Is this a distinct personality, like almost a thought form? Is this um, an actually discarnate soul? Uh, those are questions that I think a lot of a lot of mediums and occultists are still trying to parse out. Um, how much of the consciousness is surviving in fullness? How much of it goes through a reincarnation? How much of it goes through a passive review? Um, what does seem to be the common theme? is a level of desire to right past wrongs, things that have uh, that weren't able to be achieved as fully as the spirit may have hoped in life, uh, to kind of fix that, to uh, seek absolution if possible. Mm. And then also a sense of exploration. A lot of the spirits that come through seem very interested in exploration. Um, exploration of things that they were interested in life, but at that kind of cosmic level. So sometimes maybe if someone was very involved in mathematics, it's all about, oh my God, the, 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 the workings of this universe. I'm trying to put these into kind of a, a very, um, a very like concrete mathematical form or someone who is very oriented around nature and experience of um, surrounding themselves with that, that nature element, that um, the pine, the wood, the earth. Yeah. Um, there's a real sense of the, the loves of that person mm-hmm. continuing. Yes. And certain memories mm-hmm. are really connected with that as well, because we, we got into mediumship through doing seances, mm-hmm. really opening ourselves up to any messages that wanted to come through that were positive, that were safe, um, because we do have a big emphasis on safety in our seance work. And we continually get these amazing visuals and um, words that come through feelings a lot. Um, I get messages through my body, through certain feelings in my body that are so distinct, as Dan was saying, that are, if a person loved nature and life, you know, What's coming through is nature, visuals, and imagery. And it's really interesting to know that 
there are certain things that do preserve, it seems. Yes. I think it ties in very well to like kind of that end of life phenomena where if someone has a near death experience and they see, you know, the portal of light opening and out of that portal of light comes, you know, family members or the religious, um, the religious figure who they identify very strongly with. Um, so very rarely does it seem we have people um, maybe who are Muslim having an experience where Jesus comes through and vice versa. Very rarely do we see, you know, someone who's Catholic and has a near-death experience having, um, you know, um, uh, Ganesh come bounding through that little golden sphere of light. It seems very oriented around this kind of co-creative element of consciousness, but also what the universe kind of communicates through. Can you give us an example of how your seance plays out? Yeah, definitely. Uh, One of our major focuses, especially within like seance work, is around the individuals who are gathered um, to make sure that they are experiencing and feeling from them. Um, They're receiving messages themselves within Mm -hmm. that space. Um, So for us, that involves firstly a little bit of education, kind of taking things away from Hollywood, away from the horror movie you saw two weeks ago, or, uh, you know, the uh, pop culture influence around Houdini and like, you know, that sort of thing, cheesecloth and (laughs) being tied to a chair. Um, We take instead, okay, what does a seance actually look like? What does it mean? And for us, we view seance as a ritual. We're not spiritualists. We um, respect spiritualism. It's done a lot for mediumship in the United States and in Europe. However, we view seance as an intentional ritual where we all sit together with the intention of receiving a message from somewhere else. Um, I used to say from the other side. However, over the course of doing this, you begin to realize people have communications from deities. People have communications from what they feel are extraterrestrial presences. And so I don't know, I no longer feel confident saying uh, the only things that come through in a seance are, you know, departed individuals, ghosts, spirits, etc. cetera. Um, but we want to create a space where whatever comes through is not only comfortable, but is beneficial. Uh, we don't want noise. We don't want uh, messages mm-hmm. that make people feel badly. Right. Um, and a lot of that is a laden, a, is about a lying anxiety, helping people to realize yes. that we're all in a safe and comfortable place. Um, and we just need to, uh, to feel. We have a lot of tools to help them do that. Yes. So we, we do a lot of expectation setting and sharing of our own paranormal experiences and just making sure that the group is comfortable and cohesive so that if they start feeling anything negative, they feel comfortable to share that with us um, so that we can help them through that and dispel any negative energies that come up. Um, so we do a lot of hands-on experiments as well. And I like to call them experiments um, because you never quite know what's going to happen. Uh, We work with tools that have been used for, my gosh, I don't even know how many years, like pendulums pendulums and and, um, we'll start with pendulum work, which is simply to allow someone to um, externalize the medium, if you will, uh, allow them to receive binary responses from somewhere else. And because it's externalized, take that sense of Uh, self-criticism, what Jung and Freud would call the censor, to take that away. And so if they're wrong, 
if they have something come through that doesn't make sense, they don't immediately put them back on themselves and say, oh, I'm bad. I'm crazy. This is nuts. Instead, it's, oh, the pendulum was wrong. Great. That's the place to start receiving. Mm -hmm. So we'll work with the pendulum and then we will do a trance induction for people who are seated there. Um, Often this takes the form of just allowing the body to experience sensation, what's happening around them. Mm -hmm. Um, Once we're aware of what's happening around us, we can kind of establish a baseline for what normal is. And then if, you know, other communication, feeling, uh, temperature fluctuation, time dilation come through, well, now we have a baseline to kind of compare that against. And that often involves an imaginal kind of journeying component. Um, It looks very similar and in the ways in which the uh, the kind of occult mirrors um, uh, this work, uh, the way that kind of uh, whether it be extraterrestrial stuff or spirit stuff seems to be kind of a similar substance, that trance setting often looks and can feel very much like a past life kind of regression experience. But rather than experiencing from the focal point, it's opening a conduit to experience spirits coming to you. Once that's complete, we'll do some glass moving because we really enjoy uh, that kind of phenomena of a a glass uh, moving on a spirit board. Uh, We don't use a Ouija board, mostly because, not because we think there's anything wrong with it, simply because a lot of people have emotional baggage that they bring to it. They have a lot of horror movie uh, programming or they feel like, you know, they had a bad experience when they were 13 and playing in the basement at a sleepover. So we use tarot cards um, around an upturned glass and we use that tarot imagery as like kind of archetypal imagery and archetypal communication. Uh, We find spirit has an easier time sending messages through uh, that kind of layered archetypal imagery as opposed to trying to spell something out. And then we'll move into a sense of shared space where people can Mm -hmm. kind of um, call out to the spirits that they maybe have an intent around, um, experience the strangeness because there is strangeness that happens. It's a very liminal environment. Yes. And many people have the same experience about the same time. Mm -hmm. So we do seances um, in our town, in the oldest building in town. And often we'll do, and someone will volunteer that, okay, um, I felt something like warm and tingly on the my lower back. And another person across the room will say, oh, I've been feeling that as well. And once you start to really open up communication, you do find these repeated experiences that are happening. Um, we also love the seance for another reason. Um, we find certain people will come in and really start to unlock their own abilities. Mm -hmm. So one recent experience, um, I think we had, did she have the crystal ball? Mm -hmm. She actually had a crystal ball. She'd never used it before. She didn't know quite what, what to do with it. Um, but she was interested in trying it out. So she just held it and, and kind of, um, relaxed, looked into the ball and she immediately started getting images. Oh, yes. Very like heavy scrying images. Um, scrying, for those of your listeners who aren't aware, is uh, an act of looking in a reflective surface and allowing uh, shapes to come through in that reflective surface. Mm-hmm. Um, communications, they can appear as layered images, 
Um, sometimes landscapes, it's even. landscapes, um, sometimes it's a scene that appears. Mm-hmm. And this goes all the way back to the workings of like uh, Dee and Kelly, um, Enochian magic and like scrying through a surface to uh, communicate with the beyond. And some people are very natural at it. Some are not so much. Uh, it is a skill. It is a, um, it does seem to be a gift to some degree or another. But this individual had these profound uh, messages that were coming through for her and then slowly kind of shaped out from her to the people sitting around her where she was receiving images and they were saying, that's, oh, my God, that's my backyard. <laughs> that's that's what I'm seeing right now. And we love that. Um, we really want to take the focus in any kind of seance or any kind of working that we do, whether it be ritual or a seance to the people who are there and not make it about the mediums per se. Um, there's a lot of focus in mediumship about like the medium and the messages the medium's getting. And that can be helpful. That can be clarifying. Yeah. But for us, it's you can do this because <laughs> if we can do this, you can do this. <laughs> and what happens when you give yourself the permission to say, oh, I am open to receive messages from spirit. I can manifest my will in the universe. Incredible things happen. I think that's great. And it seems like that maybe what you guys are trying to show that you don't need to be afraid of spiritual encounters. And once you release that fear, you become more able to have them. Is that correct? It is. Um, Yes, definitely. Um, I think that people are having spiritual encounters all the time. I know growing growing up, I had messages from the universe that I, I didn't quite see it as such. I didn't know what to make of it. But the more you start to talk about these things, the more people will open up to you. Yes, I've I've felt certain things. I've felt the presence of um, someone I cared about who passed. I've seen certain um, messages in nature, like birds appearing, um, that mean something to me. And you start to realize this kind of thing is happening to people all the time, mm-hmm. and they don't need to be afraid of it. Exactly. Growing up, um, the experiences I had around, you know, what at the time I was plugging into like UFO Mm -hmm. phenomena, light coming through the window in the middle of the night, shadowy, large, creepy entities at the end of the bed, um, lots of like terrible dreams about, you know, aliens and in the woods and craft and like, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, When I began to experiment with specifically ritual intent, um, occult uh, writing, and um, the seance in particular, the main focus initially was how can I get some control around this? Uh, How can I interface with this in a way that is actually productive as opposed Mm -hmm. to terrifying? And what was funny was as soon as that that transition started, as soon as I began to get um, to, to work those rituals, the communications, they changed. The, the presentation changed. It, it was not a scary visitation anymore. It was um, sometimes less productive messages, <laughs> but some, it, was, it was more of a, ah, that is really bizarre. That is odd. I'm observing how weird this is, but the fear was gone. Yes. Um, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people who come to uh, specifically mediums, Uh, have concerns. They have concerns about their family members who have passed. They have concerns about loved ones, Um, you know, especially now in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty around illness, around people who are, who are 
crossing over before their time as it's perceived, uh, people have a lot of concern around like, is my loved one okay? Do they, do they know I love them? Do they know I miss them? And I think the answer to that is unequivocally yes. And when you start to talk with those people, they know that too. Mm. It's just they need the clarification of yes, the validation, the validation of someone saying, you're not crazy yes. because when your mom died and that bird that was her favorite bird came and lit on your windowsill and sat there until the funeral was finished and then flew away and you haven't seen it since. You're not crazy for thinking that was a message from your mother. It was, and you know it is. And they are like, of course it is. Why did I think it wasn't? That's the thing that really excites us. What kind of tips can you give my audience on how to become a medium themselves? Yeah. Um, we have some, we have uh, some great ones. A go-to beginner tools, mm-hmm. um, which are the pendulum and dream work, because mm-hmm. they're really easy. A lot of people are already having dreams. And if you're interested in becoming a medium, it's likely that you're already experiencing some sort of call towards that. Um, but what you're going to want to do with dreaming is to simply ask the universe or ask a specific spirit to come visit you or give you a message in a dream that night. I may not receive that message that, but within like two or three nights, you will probably receive some sort of message or you'll be able to meet that person that you've asked to see. Um, so that is one really good way. You can either um, say that intention aloud or write it on a piece of paper and stick it under your pillow, whatever feels very certain to you. And as you're falling asleep, kind of meditate on that intention. Mm-hmm. The other option and one we always like to share is the pendulum It is a fortunately becoming a more popular tool of late, um, but it is an excellent tool for, again, kind of moving that criticism of the sensor, moving that ego kind of criticism off of you as the person and on to an implement. So if you feel comfortable in a pendulum, couldn't simply be one you've purchased from a metaphysical shop that has like a stone attached to it, or you can make it. Um, I often tell people to take a wedding band, engagement ring, tie it to a piece of string. That can be a pendulum. Um, and then asking that questions, um, asking for spirit to give you a yes, no, that can also be very useful to limit that kind of um, the limit, the quantity of, of information and focus on the quality. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think mediumship needs to be extremely evidential. It needs to look like Teresa Caputo, right? <laughs> or else it's not mediumship. And that's not fair. Um, I think a lot of people receive messages and in a variety of, in ways. A variety of ways. And so for now, if you're just starting out, Practice with those simple tools, dreaming, a pendulum, asking very limited yes, no questions, and follow that progress. Um, How you'll find that over time you get better at discerning your movement of the pendulum versus something else's movement of the pendulum, as well as the accuracy of that pendulum, how it tracks in terms of those yes, no questions. And the final thing, I have one that I think is so simple, and I think uh, Gordon White, uh, who's a chaos magician, uh, originally uh, kind of turned me on this idea. And it is to, he had a slightly different formulation. But if you're interested in being a medium, having an affirmation that is, 
I am a powerful medium. And it's amazing how integrating those affirmations will totally ramp up the power of what you're doing. Um, when we do sigil magic, writing a sigil that says, my uh, sigil magic always works for me, drastically seems to increase the rate of accuracy of sigil magic. The same is true for mediumship. So I'm a powerful medium. Harnessing the power of belief and yes. belief in oneself. It's interesting that you use the word belief because I was just about to ask, how do you overcome the doubt mm you know, with the messages that are coming through? I mean, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is a major problem for so many people who reach out to us. But what you can do is actually look into some of the research that is showing mediumship is real for many people. Mm -hmm. um, there are there's some great studies out of um, the Institute of Noetic Sciences and um, there are great studies about psi phenomenon as well. And I find that just looking into the, that research really does make you feel more confident in the possibility. And then kind of just adapting yourself to the idea that this is accessible to me. In fact, this is accessible to all humans. Mm -hmm. um, it, is a, it is a belief that anyone can be a medium. Um, but it is one that you can foster in yourself. Um, and you can do that by experimenting with these tools and creating an atmosphere of non-judgment around yourself. Um, it's not putting demands on yourself to get messages all the time. It's not putting demands on yourself to um, receive it in a certain way even. There are so many different tools that you can explore. And I feel that, and we've done that. We've helped mm -hmm. people do that in um, some of our work. Um, and I feel that once you kind of click with something, then it's just you go. Yeah. Um, and just giving yourself that permission. There is an element too, I think, of people wanting to expunge all doubt and to be in a place of absolute certainty. Mm -hmm. And what we've found is that, well, not only can doubt be helpful, uh, it can be helpful in, you know, following whether or not the messages you receive feel valid. Uh, it's that kind of gut intuition um, feeling. It's also useful to not get locked into an actual, like a certain paradigm because the paranormal, the liminal, these weird spaces, they by nature defy um defy uh, any kind of real explanation. They defy categorization. As soon as you think you've knocked that peg into that hole, it pops sure. out and is in a different shape. <laughs> so if uh, you have doubts, that's fine. I, I think I think that's a, a great example of you not being uh, crazy or not uh, delusional is to have questions and to have doubts. Yeah. And we found over the, the short time of our, of our work, how things have shifted and changed and how um, yes. our early beliefs have kind of molded over time to more accurately reflect our experiences. A lot of like the kind of messages that we currently receive are very much oriented around a, um, a kind of, I would almost at this point say more of like an entity of some kind, a kind of like a creature or entity that has its own <laughs> mind, its own thing, less so than, um, you know, the messages we received very early in our, in our experiences were for, which were more from like spirit of place or um, entity spirits that were inside uh, the building, like mm -hmm. kind of like in paranormal investigation. So how did your family and friends 
come to resolve you being involved in the occult? And the same thing for you, Kat. How does your family, yeah. you know, handle you guys being involved with the occult as your main source of income? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Should I go first? Yes, please. Um, I am blessed to be the third child and the only daughter um, and the youngest. So they don't really care what I do. <laughs> they care about me, but they don't mind. Um, so my my family seems to be fine with it, which is lovely. Yes. And it's been more of a more of an interesting kind of dynamic on my end. I think things have not really been resolved as of yet. It's definitely a journey. However, I find a lot of solace in looking at the um the kind of traditions and the things that um, specifically within like Pennsylvania Dutch communities or Appalachian folk magic communities, um, the traditions that are engaged in that are very magical, but that we just don't call magical. So for example, um, one of the, probably the biggest Appalachian folk magic texts is uh, the long lost friend looking over at it on my shelf. And it was written in Berks County. I'm I grew up very, very close to Berks County. I know exactly where some of the sites referenced in Long Lost Friend uh, actually are. I've been to them even before I was interested in this work. And there are some things that I feel track very, very easily. Um, for example, um, I always say my grandmother goes and visits every year, visits family graves. She goes and she and her husband, uh, my grandfather, they clean them. They take very good care of the grave space. And it does definitely um, really, uh, I don't want to say it upsets them, but it, it it's a point of both pride and a point of duty to say every year we go here and, oh, can you believe that the, you know, the the groundskeepers let the lichens grow on this stone we went out and we bought cleaner and we cleaned that and now it looks great and they keep that big book of like everybody's name and what they did and who they were and that is very much an ancestral magical practice of honoring uh, our ancestors and going to the family graveyard every year um, they don't have what they would call an ancestor altar, but both my, my mom and my grandma, my grandparents, they have photos of the, every family member on, uh, those who have passed every past family member, photos of them on their piano, um, just all the way across grandparents, cousins, uncles, these old black and white photos. And every Sunday when they're cleaning, they dust them all off. It's an ancestor altar. We're just not calling it that. <laughs> so that's the kind of reconcile I've found. And um, I think it's a very beautiful in some way. Are you guys religious? Ah, great question. Um, you know, we did have an interesting religious journey. So we did grow up religious. Mm -hmm. We grew up Christian. Um, and then we converted to Catholicism yes. about halfway into college. Mm -hmm. And then after we graduated and we're on our own for a few years, we ended up uh, drifting away from that and really finding a deep love in chaos magic, eclectic witchcraft, occultism, just a variety of spiritual, spirituality, spiritual beliefs that really, really resonated with us and filled something in us that we wanted. Yes. There so was... right now we're spiritual, but not not religious. Yes. There was a profound interest, uh, specifically with the jump to Catholicism within the, um, 
and for your listeners who are American, um, the American kind of like evangelical church or a fundamentalist church is a, a very, it's called a liturgically low church. Uh, so that just simply means that they don't do high liturgy. And there's not really an element of mysticism in those denominations. It's very um, kind of a, a very literal interpretation of what's written in in the scriptures. It's a very uh, kind of Workaday, and I love that. I love the workaday components of any kind of religious system, whether it be New Thought or Christianity or what have you. However, for Kat and I, there was a draw to Catholicism in its esoterra and in its mysticism. These saints who may or may not have existed, like Saint Catherine, who's may very obviously be an overlay for Ecate. Um, yes, regardless, they um, that kind of connection to a larger universe, a larger spiritual kind of universe felt very exciting. Um, the incense, the ritual component, um, those elements were fascinating. And those elements were part of our transition from uh, dealing with like early kind of religious experience into a more kind of mystical. current mystical view of, of the universe. Yes. I do always want to say, um, we think that whether you're doing like ritual magic or you're uh, doing um, mediumship or what have you, you don't need to leave your religious background to do that. You may find over time you do, but even those individuals who do leave their backgrounds, um, you brought up doubt earlier. I think one of the best ways to kind of overcome a feeling of, am I bad? Am I going to hell? Is something wrong with me? Is not to find the voices of the new tradition you're a part of, but to find the voices of the tradition you left who are talking about the thing you're doing in a positive way. Because there are uh, Christian writers who talk about mediumship. There are, um, there's a phenomena in the United States of Christian witches, which I find to be very interesting. Um, so there is a space to kind of work through that uh, religious and spiritual experience in a way that is productive. Um, if you feel like you want to remain a part of that tradition, there's, there's no need to jettison everything if you don't want to. I think when most people hear the word magic, they think negatively about it. Can you tell us how it can be positive? Oh, I find it difficult to to imagine a negative connotation of magic. Um, magic looks like many, many different things. But what it is, is um, people using their own abilities, their faculties, sometimes described as will or desire, in order to give themselves power over themselves, give themselves power over their own lives. So it really is a reclamation of their own abilities to shape their lives. So for us, it's very much around empowerment. And mm -hmm. this happens in a variety of different traditions, folk magic, um, chaos magic, in a variety of different ways, whether it be spell work or candles or herbalism. I mean, there's so many facets of magic and occultism and what that looks like. And there really is this vast history of humans exploring that in, a, in so many different ways. Yes. I forget which writer it was. And I always like to credit these things. But um, I think the negative perception of magic often comes from what we're taught in uh, growing up, especially in a religious environment. It's this idea that um, whatever is paranormal or extra normal or um, uh, 
deeply shapes our reality through petition, prayer, um, maybe even a working of some kind, if it's within the framework of our religion, it's a miracle. And anything outside of that is sorcery or magic or demonic. And that shifts throughout whatever whatever framework you're placing over it. Um, so magic's always been a part of the human experience. I think there's very good scientific evidence that shows there's very little neural difference, very little difference in that brain activity when someone is meditating, uh, when someone is chanting a mantra, when someone is praying, those things all seem to activate the same space. They all seem to do the same thing on a kind of mental model. Um, so within that, I think it's finding the ritual trappings that kind of allow you to overcome the feeling of the mundane, the feeling of the normal, the feeling of circumstance that you're surrounded in, and to supersede it, to express your will from that position. So a lot of the exciting ritual stuff, like the ro- like people always think of like robed magicians or witches dancing by a fire, the dancing by the fire, the robes, the wands, the um, calling out of uh, unpronounceable names, probably has very little to do with the actual function of the magic. And I'm making a big statement here. Probably has very little, at least in my perception, to do with the function of the magic. What it does do is excite the mind, excite the imagination, kind of um, get us away from that ego sensor that's saying, you're crazy, this is all wrong, Mm -hmm. into a space where we feel like we have agency. And in tapping into that agency, making those changes. Um, it can be profoundly empowering and it has, I've, in my experience, I feel has had very real impact on, uh, on the, the reality of the world around us, not just the way we perceive it, but the things that happen in it. I'm personally not involved too much in the lives of, of occultists, but Mm -hmm. we mentioned that you're celebrity occultists. Are you known within your community or locally, or is it more of an online community that you're well known? Yeah. So we're well known in an online community. We're also, uh, and now becoming known somewhat internationally, which is exciting. We were recently featured in Cosmopolitan UK, which was a lot of fun, Mm. but the name celebrity occultist was originally chosen for, uh, well, for kind of dialectic reasons. Oh yes, to push ourselves into that sphere of sphere of being more public. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to represent occultism and magic in a positive way, in a way that empowers people and gets them excited about the universe and what that it can offer. Um, I think locally, we're also known. <laughs> yes. They, they, it's funny because um, they know us well, so mm-hmm. so they wouldn't say, "Oh, you're not celebrities." But yes, I will go to you if I'm having anything paranormal happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I they, that's so wonderful to us because uh, we love to help people in our community, and we love to be known for that reason. Yes, and the idea of the celebrity occultist when we were beginning to kind of figure out the ways in which we wanted to present what we do, to bring it out of the shadows and into public discourse. The idea of the celebrity occultist has this, I think it works on multiple levels. And so far as occult, the word occult (laughs) simply means hidden. It's something that's hidden from general discourse. Well, to have a celebrity, which is seen in public and known and everybody knows it, it's this beautiful paradox, Mm -hmm. which feels very magical in and of Mm -hmm. itself, because a lot of magic does feel paradoxical. 
And then this element of, as Kat said, being a known quantity uh, for people to ask questions about the occult too. So particularly in the United States coming off of the satanic panic in the eighties and uh, horror movies, most notably recently, the conjuring film, uh, conjuring See? three, the villain was an occultist and no one knew what that was. They just, they said, Oh, she's an occultist and she was the villain. Well, we wanted to show that being an occultist is not really a scary an evil, a bad thing. Um, it's <laughs> something that can be very exciting and very liberating and very useful. So the element of celebrity occultist, as we become more known, has become more true. In some ways, I suppose it's a spell, but it's also a kind of um, a paradox and hopefully a piece for public outreach. Do you think occultism is growing in the world? Oh, yes. Yeah, I believe so. So we do follow and read the works of Mitch Horowitz. Mm -hmm. And he has as an occult historian, and he's been following this for a number of years. And he's recently said as as recently as this past fall, that he does feel that there is another occult revival. And it's simply because these ideas are helpful. In many ways, they're accurate. Things like astrology is helpful and accurate to the individual. And we have greater access to occult philosophy and uh, teachings and beliefs than we ever have before. Yes. And as people experience, um, well, the paranormal seems to thrive in a kind of liminal space. Um, liminality and mediumship, magic, esoterra has been discussed by many different authors. And it feels at this point in time, like we're in a liminal space, uh, socially, mm -hmm. politically, Transition. nobody can seem to agree on what reality actually is. Um, there's been an erosion in faith and like earlier structure. So you know, church attendance in the country is down. Uh, political trust is at an all-time low. These things really do foster, I think, a uh, connection with the paranormal, a connection with occult philosophy and teachings. It's a very work a day. Let me, oh, you're back. I was going to say, let me pause you for a second. Oh. I didn't want to interrupt you in the flow, but now no you're back. Good. It's very work a day. It's very... Um, I think spell work can be as granular as I'm looking for a new job. So I'm going to enchant my resume, say a petition to Fortuna, offer an offering to Hermes, and that can work. And it can be cosmic. It can be big. It can be, I'm going to find my highest possible self. I'm going to refine what it means to be a human embodying this, this thing, this <laughs> feeling, this body. Um, it's, it works across uh, across multiple levels. All right. Well, you guys are doing seances. What else are you up to? Well, we have in the past year started a online school to study things all in esoterra in the occult called the School of Occult Arts. And we have partnered with our friend and teacher, um, hypno, hypnot, hypnotist yes. and visual artist Isabel Rizzo from Chicago. And we teach and lecture on a variety of subjects, including folk magic traditions, divination techniques, enchantment techniques, um, history of magic. And we've created a community there where people can engage in these ideas 
and dialogue in it, have disagreements, have discussions in a safe place where they can do so. Exactly. Uh, the School of Occult Arts has been a labor of love for the past year. And every uh, month, essentially, we do live courses and lectures there. Uh, students who are enrolled have access to all of the current uh, materials as well as the backlog of materials. We do hands-on rituals together. Um, and it became a space where uh, it felt like we were answering a lot of questions from uh, folks who were following us on TikTok, where we have like 50,000 followers, people who are following us on Instagram. And a lot of people who were leaving old traditions and coming into witchcraft, the occult, esoteric for the first time. And they had questions about things they were reading online. Because as Kat said, there's more information available than ever before. Some of that information is very useful. Some of it, uh, maybe not so much. Some of it's just plain like bad. It's not accurate. It's grounded in like bunk uh, history. And so for us, it was an element of saying, well, let's create a space where people can engage with what we know, but then also learn things on their own like timetable and engage and have these kind of conversations in a space that's open to having conversations, that's open to interrogating the historicity, the value of this material, science, a lot of the times. science Modern of this science. material. Um, and that's been a really fun place. Yeah. Can you give us an anecdote of something that happened during one of your seances that was like the most impactful or the most surprising or the most just kind of mind blowing thing that has happened? The most impactful things have all been emotional. Yeah. So deep connections coming through for uh, loved ones that they were trying to get in contact with. We had one private seance where, um, the husband of the woman that we were contacting was just constantly smelling her perfume. And this was really, really powerful for him because he'd never had any experience like that. And it was just such a moment of validation that she was there. And that was really emotional for me because, you know, he was an, an older guy and to see him emotional like that was, was impactful. And to facilitate that kind of response was wonderful. Yes. And we've had some, uh, you know, standard bumps in the night. We've had um, uh, visions of things moving when they shouldn't. <laughs> yes. Um, one of my favorite physically, and this is oh, that, the yes. kind of bump in the night story. Um, we were doing a seance in an um, old building and there was a storage room behind us. And it was, uh, we knew who had access to the building. Everyone who was in the building was in the group with us. No one was in that room. And while we were sitting there and the guests were kind of having these experiences and these uh, channeling kind of um, messages from beyond uh, for them and through them, uh, this sound erupted from the supply closet. Like people were throwing boxes, like just... <laughs> That's the only way to describe it. Like, like something tumbled and people were just like kicking cardboard boxes and everybody sat there like, Oh, is everybody here? Like, is somebody in there? Who's what's going on? Well, we finished the seance. We open up the circle. And of course, the first thing we all do is run over to that room and that supply closet is sitting in, in plain view the whole time. Like it wasn't in another room of the house. The door was was there. Everybody's eyes were on it. We were all kind of waiting for everything to wrap up so we could go and open that door. 
And when we opened that door, all of the boxes were perfectly stacked, neat, didn't look like anything had been moved an inch. And it was one of those moments where you say, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, mm-hmm. this is just such an odd, um, an unreal uh, encounter. That's how a lot of, um, we find the paranormal tracks when you're dealing with it in a way that is not scary, when it's um, in a way that maybe could be described to be healthy or productive, the weirdness happens. And then you have this moment of, boy, that was really weird. And what do you do with it? Except say thanks. Yes. Can you tell us how to find you um, on TikTok, Instagram, and how to find your school? Yes. So we are at the.eckharts on Instagram and TikTok, at the.eckharts. Uh, our website is the Eckharts.com. And we will have some uh, public rituals coming up over the course of the year. Uh, we don't have the dates for those out yet, but they will be coming up and we'll be doing rituals uh, that you can join digitally or in person. Uh, the School of Occult Arts is on our website at the Eckharts.com slash School of Occult Arts. And at the end of this year, we are actually um, also yes. holding a retreat in a castle uh, in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina. So if you want to have a, a three-day intense manifestation, magic. Uh, magic and seance workshop experience in a luxury castle, well, we'll be doing that again with our <laughs> co-facilitator, Isabel of the School of Cold Arts. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you guys leave us with one last positive message? The most important thing that you can do in this work, in this, whether you're a medium or a psychic or you're interested in the occult, is to trust your own self, to trust that intuition. Um, it can be hard. We talked a lot about, about doubt today. We talked about, um, you know, feelings of being crazy or being, uh, you know, uh, afraid or judging yourself. judging yourself. And I think the most valuable thing that I've ever done has been to take a step back and say, I can trust myself. I can trust what I feel. And and you can trust your desires and where your curiosity is leading you because Mm -hmm. there's a reason you're curious about those things. There's a reason you want to explore those things. And I think that you should feel comfortable doing so. You should feel that it is your right to do so and feel safe doing that and do what you do whatever you need to do in order to feel safe while doing that. Well, thank you guys for that message. And Dan and Kat, thank you so much for being my guests today. I really appreciate y'all and I wish you the best. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.